Well, muckers, what about you? Welcome to the latest edition of the Banaflex Movie Review Podcast. Joining me on this episode, once again recorded at the Odeon Belfast, is one of the Odeon's very own, that is Chris Gray. Hey there. And from the Wish cosplay group, Gabrielle Riddioff. What's a crack? Right, guys, we're going to be talking about loads. We're talking about a movie news. We're going to be talking about Cinema Day. I'll be speaking with Sarah Gunn-Smith from Film Hub and I. And then we're going to be talking about Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. We're literally out of the screening now. Normally, we come out of the screenings at the Odeon, but this week we've all been to a special press screening at the Movie House Cinemas. But before we talk about that film, let's move on to part one of the podcast. I swear, if it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back to We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. can't let it happen again. So guys, that's a clip of It Chapter 2, and I think that kind of nicely sets the tone for a bit of the movie news. We're not long before It Chapter 2 is released in cinemas. I think it's the first or second week of September. And we just got news from the director himself that the film's nearly going to be three hours long. So I just want to ask you, are you ready to sit through a near three-hour horror movie? I'll start with you, Chris. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've been trained to watch three hour long films, so that's not an issue for myself. But a horror movie, though? Well, no, this is it. Um, because I know that most of the demographic for a horror movie would be teenagers. Teenagers tend to get restless. Mm. They want something that's one hour, 40 minutes long. <clears throat> Excuse me. They want something that's one hour, 40 minutes long. Wham, we might bam, come th- back to this later on. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But personally, I'm fine with that. Um, I did see The Wheeling, which was a Korean horror film a few couple of years back, mm-hmm. and it, it went on forever, but I, I'm very proud of the little gold star I got for sitting through all of it. It's good. it's a very different type of film than what... I suppose we're judging It Chapter 2 before it's out, but It, chap, it Chapter 1 kind of played out in the mold of like the Nightmare on Elm Street. They kind of replaced Freddy Krueger with Pennywise the Clown. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm ready to to sit through nearly three hours of that. I suppose I'm always uh, an advocate for cinema that if you do get a three hour long film and the director is able to fill the time quite well, you get bang for your buck. And as you said, we were are going to come back to this on, on a later subject mm-hmm. uh, in terms of length, but I'm always happy. Still talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm are all, we though? <laughs> uh, I'm always going to be standing up for a film that is meaty and juicy and lengthy and you get you're buying for your buck for the cinema ticket that you pay for. But then again, I have to understand quality over quantity. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I think everything now is getting like the film we're going to be reviewing later on. Hobbs and Shaw is two hours twenty. You know, and the last of like the Avengers Endgame I think was two hours forty. Films are getting longer, and you've got to wonder. If it's just a case of just editors need to speak up more and editors need to be more ruthless. We're going to have Quentin Tarantino's film in a couple of weeks and I know that's nearly three hours and Quentin already wants to make it longer. I think probably the difference with Pennywise is the fact there's six main characters in it and you need to cover each of their stories if it's going to do the book and the darker feeling of it any justice. They don't want to skim past what they went through is probably where... And it's uh, difficult for a film that's... a if you want to label this as a franchise, because there are only two films, you yep. know, most franchises, you know, Fast and Furious, we're on film nine now at this point. There's so a so cynical part of me that thinks they'll somehow think of a way. For, to, part, ch- for chapter, chapter three. three? I don't think, oh, I would hope, I really hope they don't, because it's just the way it is and the way it's dealt with, you know, even in the original and the book, it's done, it's dusted, Pennywise is, is no more. Look, you know. if Chris Rock can bring back the Saw franchise, 
anything no can happen. No comment. Anything can happen. But no, generally on the three R mark. Do you want to see a three R horror film, Gabrielle? As long as it doesn't feel like the three R's. You no, know, sometimes you can get a three R film and then you're like, oh, it's over. It it it's over so quickly. It does not feel like that length of time. But then you get the ones where, like you say, it could be like an hour and twenty minutes, and it could feel like forever. So I'm quite open to see what what it's filled with. Because on that note, I know I mentioned Endgame. I have to admit, I saw Endgame three times. Not because I'm an Uber fan, just from different sets of... Mm -hmm. My lovely wife wanted to go see it. I had to be there to see it on the midnight screening to be able to review it. And then another friend wanted to go see Endgame again. And I don't. you've both seen Endgame? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like a two-hour 45 It was very, very quick. It gallops through. Now, whether that's because that that kind of thing that John... the kind of thing that Keanu Reeves talks about is story through action and it's always going on and there's always set piece but the key thing about Endgame is there is character and there's room for characters so many times we see a lot of long films and it's just set piece set piece set piece I might be preempting a film we might be talking about but say no more my major concern would be about teenagers, however, because they. Well, will I have get a fifteen-year-old teenager, who, and she who, would sit happily through it. But the, I, I've dealt with teenagers that tend to, you know, they can't sit through an hour more than an hour and a half. Yeah. Now you've, if I'm right, you've both read the, the, yes. the source mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose there's a sense. I hope it's not as. Yeah, in some parts. As the in book. a sense, I I sort of hope it is. I I really don't <laughs> in certain but parts. There's a lot of stuff that particularly the second half of the book mm-hmm. that kind of talks about kind of the the other dimensions of the whole thing with the significance of the turtle mm-hmm. that we kind of saw them hinting at in the first one but didn't yeah. really want to talk about it but yeah. now they're clearly going to use that and there's a lot of the stuff from the start of the Ip novel that is kind of before the main events happen yeah. that kind of tell more about Pennywise that they have said is going to be in this like they infamous eating of a baby sequence that's I think that's what people there. want though is the back they want the backstory of Pennywise they don't want him just to be do are we I, though are, yeah. are you suggesting that this one will be far too complex for, for horror audiences no well, no, no no or, or then that might throw a, a portion of them off I just come back to a point and it's something we were talking about you know off air Chris and it's something I've talked before with, with people sometimes you need to see what works on a book might not work on the big mm-hmm. screen. And I think if you throw a lot of mythology at things, you start to demystify it. And I'm the person who defends Prometheus to an extent. I defend Alien Covenant. But what those films do, and what a lot of things are guilty of now, is demystifying things. It's I come back to, and I, and I know if anyone's playing Banterflix Bingo, you know, I come back to that statement. You know, it's like the David Lynch thing. We don't need to know everything. Not everything needs to make sense. To yeah. it. We need to have that sense of, why does everything need to be explained? Well, that's what I mean. I don't mean like you don't want to know everything but a bit you know what you see in the original film you see um oh god the the chubby dude whose name i totally have forgotten now he's flipping through the book and you can see where pennywise mm-hmm. is in certain parts mm-hmm. i'd like that sort of but i don't need to know why he suddenly started appearing it's just he's been dealt with in this he's appeared and mm-hmm. that he would a better a bit more would a better example of of with the myth, myths in the background be Darth Plagueis the Wise mentioned in episode 3 or possibly the uh, the Tale of the Deathly Hallows in Harry Potter mm-hmm. they're mentioned in this in the, in the actual film but they're only mentioned for about 2 minutes and you're still not sure at the very end of it was that actually true or not I mean I know there's a heavy hint that maybe Senator Palpatine was the 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 um, apprentice to Darth Plagueis. This never... may be revealed in the next yeah, in Rise but, of Skywalker, but we're never given a, a solid bet that he is. And maybe that'll be a problem if it is uh, that we are 
as you said, yeah. we don't need it. I think that's where we talked about it before. We just remember we glanced over Blair Witch, where mm-hmm. you sort of never see, you never know. That's twenty years this year, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, we may you, be screening it. You maybe. never see, you never know exactly what it is, who it is, where it came from, anything. There's a legend that it might have been mm-hmm. a lady who went batty and killed a pile of kids, but it still leaves you going, oh, but who, what, where, when, Well, how? that's why that works so hard. Yeah. Because you can view it in different levels and you can kind of sit back and say, well, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the end of Sopranos, Tony's alive and dead, whichever way you want to read it. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. But I don't know, I... I I, I coming back to just because you mentioned Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, there's as someone who read the books a long time ago, there's like an iconic speech in the end of mm-hmm. Deathly Hallows. That's not in the film. And you've got to sit and say, is the film lesser for it? Probably not. As an Uber fanboy, would I want that there? Probably yes, because we were talking about this kind of when we came out of the screen of Hobbs and Shaw. We were kind of going off on a tangent, talking loads of different things. Because person that will remain nameless, Alan Mabin, didn't know that Spider Man was teenager. a teenager. Mm-hmm. And someone had said, I think it might have me. Oh, have you read the comics? And I think it was you, Chris. Said, you don't need to read the comics. You don't need to read the source. Mm-hmm. Film's its own thing. But that doesn't mean you can't have nods to the fanboys. Mm-hmm. But I, I come back to that point in my typical long-winded way. Sometimes I think as an editor, you need to say, or director, you need to say, does this need to be in the film? Is it is it for fans and their fandom entitlement? Or is it moving the story along? And that's my only concern when a film's nearly going to be three hours long. When it's a horror movie, when we've already had a two-hour-20 film before it that's set up and established most of the teenage characters. Yes, you've got the difficult act now of you know, introducing them as their adult alter egos. I said this before on a previous podcast. As flawed as the TV movie is, they got it right. Now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I understand that. But when the TV movie, they introduced the adults first. Yep. And then flashback. Then flashback. So that meant by the time it got to the adult stage, you were already emotionally invested with them. And you know, oh, that's who that is. And that's who that is. I know who that character is. And I, I can empathize with them. Granted, they didn't know that the first part was going to be just as successful. Although they did always plan to have it as a two-part. But that's mm. that's just me. Maybe it's a discussion for another time. But feel free to interject and shout me down if you so wish. I'm excited for it. Three hours or not. I just hope they do the characters the justice. That's, mm-hmm. as always, you always want that. Remember, I think we discussed this last mm-hmm. time. You want the characters built up so you do care enough about them that if whoever hasn't read the book or seen the original movie, whoever meets a stick in, meets a stick in, whatever way they do, you're upset about it and you want to get the revenge on Pennywise and talking about your man in the bath with the, mm-hmm. you know who I mean. Just in case anyone I'm, hasn't seen it. I'm quite excited that Xavier Dolan's been cast. He's only got a bit part, but I adore Xavier Dolan, so that's that's mm. me, sort of. I, yes. I, th- I, th- I will say this. I think they've got the adult cast in spot on in mm. terms of like James McAvoy is mm. a great bit of cast and we have um, Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain you can't mm. think of anybody else to play that mm. role other than Jessica Chastain I'm weirdly more excited about this because I was really lukewarm I, I don't know if I've spoke to you before about it the, the it chapter one is it's now going to be called I was really lukewarm about it because I thought it just clung to the book like a like a wet blanket mm-hmm. it didn't try to do something and my tried and tested kind of approach is when you cling to the source material you get something like, I think it's Brett Ratner did Red Dragon. But when you get someone who's trying to do something with the source material, you get Michael Mann's Manhunter. My problem with it was you cle- you both clearly enjoyed the first it. Yeah. I well, was- mm, I'm a bit lukewarm with it as well. I, th- I, think, I think it's fine. I don't think it's scary as a horror. I think mm-hmm. it's funny and fast. Um, 
I do, and I, this kind of goes against my argument that I was speaking to Gabrielle about previously. Are you going to when, be a hypocrite, Chris? Oh, a little bit. When it comes to when it comes to uh, whatever happens on screen, I don't care what you do with the original source material. Although I will agree with your your Hannibal Lecter mm. uh, allegory. The uh, if you if it works on screen, I don't mind what you do with the source material. You know, Golden Compass is a good example. Oh. Golden Compass is a terrible, 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 terrible adaptation. Mm. As a family fantasy film for a Sunday afternoon, it's actually fine. Just fine. Not great, but fine. So It, Chapter 1, I thought was fine. The The thing is, I'm a huge fan of the novel. I find various fantasy elements staring around there, and I felt that's that doesn't actually make sense here. So, mm. um, in fact, it it it's all I'm saying is float. That's all I'm saying. Um so I do have a few problems, and I really like Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, and I thought all the kid actors were fab. Yeah. Um, the the problem it did have is that it was released so closely to Stranger Things as well, and mm. it was quite funny seeing a number of younger people saying, "Wow, it's like Stranger Things," and I go, "Well, actually," um, but I understand that was a problem for modern audience, audiences. Um, but I think it's a fine film. I don't, I don't think it's amazing. Yeah, I think I need to go back and revisit it. Because I, I think I come back to the point I've said previously in this podcast. My view and experience that, I had a horrible view and experience with that with an audience. It was, a, you know, it wasn't the press screening. I know kind of your privilege when, you, when you're going to the cinema is not cheap. And we got to see it for free. But it was a kind of promotional screening. So there was, it was open to the public. And there was people there who just had clearly got their tickets for nothing and mm-hmm. didn't care. There was a girl who sat the whole way through most of the film on her phone. There was a girl who answered the phone oh during the film. God. And when someone told her to be quiet, her husband and her son started throwing popcorn at that person. And I just kind of got really grumpy and annoyed. So maybe it's the memory of that yeah. that has annoyed me. I, I know there's other we people. We discussed that last time. You def- your audience you watch it with is definitely yeah. something that plays a big, big factor. Because, you know, recently I saw Midsummer here at the Onion. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be a big mistake watching it. Because it's not... a. I know that sounds pretentious. It's not a film for multiplex audience. It's not yeah. like Hobbs and Shaw, which we're going to talk about. But the audience I saw it on the opening night when it was here were respectful, even in some mm-hmm. of its more outlandish, even in its more of kind of bum-touching moments. If you've seen the film, you'll know what I'm talking about. In those type of moments, there was no chitter-chatter. There was no laugh. They were a respectful audience, so I was delighted to watch it. I know Joe McElroy, if you listened to our previous podcast, was at another cinema. Mm-hmm. He had a horrible reaction where people just felt the need to beat each other in their laughing and what mm-hmm. they could shout out on screen and just go, "Oh, that's horrible." I oh, hate, yeah. I hate audiences well, like that. Funny enough, I saw the I saw it chapter one as a midnight screening here mm-hmm. at Odeon Belfast, and the place was completely packed. Majority of the audience were fine, but there was a, there was a section of teenage boys who, because again, it, it goes back to my point about how lengthy the next one's going to be. These boys were just getting restless, and even so, anti teenager over here, mm-hmm. and even a flatulent we're not old moment. Gabrielle, we should be. We knew no, we weren't no. like that in the day. Well, I bet. I still remember watching Titanic as a teenager, and totally. Were you respectful audience? Member? I was. Oh, I loved being respectful to the cinema audience. Because cinema is magic. Why yeah. wouldn't you be? These boys, they did have a bit of flatulent humor. Which was real. It was in the last twenty minutes as well, so the climax was coming up, and um and uh, but again that's my one fear for the next one if the last one proved difficult for certain individuals then for for certain younger folk then the next one's going to be a bit more yeah i think select your timings accordingly when you go Mm. and see it is probably Mm -hmm. the thing is the last one was so popular i anticipated seeing it maybe on a 
Tuesday or Wednesday night when it was a school night because it, but it, it was but it's obviously been released during September so that packs of school kids can go mm-hmm. see it on the Friday when it's when it's been released straight after school. Um, I I was hoping to see it maybe the following Wednesday night when school night, no kids about, all, the majority of them saw it through, through the weekend. Um, but it was still very popular at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, it's out in a couple of weeks. We'll be reviewing it then. But one thing we can all agree on, and it's, has shown through there, is our love for cinema, which brings me nicely to my next point. We're going to be talking about Film Hub and I Cinema Day, which takes place on Monday the 26th of August, with events happening all across Northern Ireland. I caught up with Sarah Gunn-Smith from Film Hub and I. Before we hear that interview, let's play a little clip of The Greatest Showman, which is one of the films being screened on Cinema Day. Can I have your attention? You're all dismissed. Bankrupt. Better luck with your next job. I am not a stranger to the dark. This is not the life I promised you. Not even close. Because we don't want your broken parts. Girls, I think I've had an idea. P.T. Barnum, at your service. I'm putting together a show. And I need a star. So that's a clip of The Greatest Showman, and I'm joined now by Sarah Gunn-Smith from Film Hub NI. And Sarah, we're going to be talking about Cinema Day. So before we get talking specifically about this year, tell us a little bit about the genesis of Cinema Day. Cinema Day um, has been running. We're now in our fourth year now. Um, whenever we started to think about some kind of large-scale showcase of of the of the members work um it coincided with the the 120th anniversary of moving image um in belfast um which was in the alhambra in north street in belfast so we we used that as a good hook a good opportunity to kind of celebrate the screen heritage and use that as a theme um and as i say it, it was a pilot we didn't know whether it would work, whether the members would engage with it, whether audiences would engage with it. Um, but actually, as the years have gone on, we've found that each year has kind of grown. We've we've changed the theme, um, and each year more and more people are taking part, um, and it, it's become certainly a key fixture in a lot of people's diaries. Um, I get inquiries at the start of each year. When's it happening? What's happening? All this stuff. So, um, it's it's growing quite quite a lot um and each year we've learned as well you know how to kind of tweak the organization of it or to kind of approach different things of it so we're kind of learning alongside that and it's just yeah it's just it's grown really really well last year we had two and a half thousand people um attended an event on one day which is which is brilliant one of the things i suppose is a big part of of Cinema Day and suppose the evolution of it is, and I know you've kind of touched on it there, is the, the, the numerous community cinema groups across the province. So do you want to kind of give us, at this moment, just tell us a little bit about some of the community cinema groups you've seen or you've helped over the years with Cinema Day? We are an organisation that works with anybody who shows films, and that's KFT, The Strand, The Movie House, Belfast Film Festival, all these people who have kind of a reasonably high profile for cinema goers across the country. But underneath that, there are these amazing groups of people who are just doing these fantastic things in their local community as a response to maybe, you know, not having a cinema nearby or as a response to social need in the area or whatever. And we've really, what's been very encouraging is every year the community cinema involvement in Cinema Day 
has grown and grown. And I think it's a really nice opportunity for people operating on maybe that voluntary level that are maybe screening once a month or every couple of months um, to kind of be held on the same platform and get the same profile as some of the the, the bigger venues. Um, a couple of a couple to mention, um, Ballyclare Community Cinema, the Picture House at Ballyclare. I mean, they're screening Ladybird this year, and they've taken part um, for a couple of years. And they're an example. They they won awards last year, and um, they're operating in Ballyclare. There's no cinema really nearby, but they're screening on a regular basis and uh, providing kind of that opportunity for audiences in the area to see independent film. Um, we have new community cinema, actually, are, are, are the latest groups that we're working with, um, Oral Community Cinema on the Ormond Road in Belfast. Um, and they, Cinema Night will be their second screening, and they've really jumped at the opportunity to be involved in, in, in this event. Um, they're screening Jumanji with kind of large-scale Jenga and stuff on the bowling green, which will be quite fun. Um, and, we, I mean, there's there's people all over the place. There's Fermanagh Film Society, which are they're coming up to their... 10th or 11th year of existence um, and they take part every year and you know they're very much a border area they get they get a lot of crossover with with audiences from the border and from the Fermanagh area um, and so there's, it's all it's kind of all over the place and our website is the best place I'm going to push the website now and um, to get the information about all all these groups that could be operating in your area um, filmhubni.org all the cinema events are, cinema day events are on that um, but also there's kind of a little profile of these uh, members um, that are that are screening these great things. They're all very passionate and, and dedicated, and that kind of inspires us to help them out as well. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's been a pleasure to work with some of those. I know we've mentioned we've worked with the likes of Ballyclare in the past, and it's great to see mm-hmm. people that are so passionate about cinema. I know you touched on on this earlier on, Sarah, but how have you seen it evolve? Now it's in its fourth year, but from that first mm-hmm. year. How have you seen it evolve? Because now we've moved beyond that specific celebration to themes every year. Last year, I know the theme was was home. So yeah. how have you seen it in your time and during those four years evolve from its first conception? Well, it's evolved, um, you know, in terms of the, the number of events and the number of organisations. I mean, we have 26 organisations taking part on this on the, on the 26th of August and they're running 31 events, um, which is quite massive when you think about the kind of cinema provision and the population here. Um, so we've seen it grow in kind of that kind of numerical aspect. In terms of the theme, um, for the first couple of years, we were quite loose with the theme and we kind of, um, because we we realised after the pilot, we just wanted it kind of up and running and people to get involved. And we've noticed that um, actually each year, the members and the organisations engage much more with, with the theme and um, really... The, some of the events that that have they've come up with for this are just absolutely brilliant, and every year that grows and the kind of the pro, the programming gets better and better each year. Um, and certainly the, from our point of view as well, the profile last year we kind of made BBC News with it. We did a lot of radio, a lot of stuff, and it it sort of kind of got I think a bit more into the psyche of people. And it does these events always take a long time to kind of bed in, but I think we're there, and certainly this year. It feels like we're there, and already I'm starting to think, right, well, what can we do for the fifth year? Obviously, get this one out of the road, and then, but how can we even kind of um, expand on what we're doing for the fifth year and make it even better? And are there other partners that we can engage with? Now, we've been, we're very lucky. Our, our funder 
is the British Film Institute, because um, we're part of the Film Audience Network, um, who support this every year, but also Northern Ireland Screen, and um, obviously see a value in um, supporting this and, and the exhibition sector. And you know, looking, you know, we've we've grown really quite well over the last four years, and um, I mean, we're here till 2022, hopefully beyond, but we'll, we'll see. But we're funded up to 2022, and you know, we want that. To, to grow and grow until, you know, until we're not here anymore else, we'll just keep growing it. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Now, before <laughs> we get talking about the fifth year, though the, yeah. the theme for this year is youth. So yeah. you've touched on that. You've over 31 events happening across Northern yeah. Ireland. So without going into specifics of each event, tell us a broad spectrum of just some of the things. I know you've already you've mentioned the likes of Jumanji and, and things like that. What are some of the events that are going to be happening? I know we, we played in with a trailer of The Greatest Showman. Movie House yeah. Cinemas are doing a free screenings throughout a couple of their sites across Northern Ireland. But but what are the other events to, to look out for? Yeah, well, actually, when we were, we were thinking of what theme to to look at, we were I had a slight concern that in terms of youth as a theme, that most people will come back with um, family events, which is cool and it's great. But actually, um, it was... That you know, there's a lot of stuff on for families, and we we do have a good mix, and we wanted to keep it that way. Um, and but actually, the the response from the members was was just brilliant in terms of the kind of theme of lost youth, you know, things you liked when you were young, you know, you know, teenage years, all that, all that sort of stuff. And there's um, as I say there's a lot of the family stuff. The Greatest Showman specifically is, I think, um, the thinking behind that was a lot of the screenings when that came out, where they were it's you know, technically and a film for adults, but kids love it as well. So this is specifically for kids that they will have circus performers and face painting and all that stuff kind of into that. Um we're looking um an interesting event um this year is we've engaged with the Northern Ireland Screen Digital Film Archive who are screening some archive from the kind of Newton Abbey area for people who are in a care home. That will be open to the public as well. But it's really nice so they're looking at kind of whenever they were young, what did Newton Abbey look like? What did Jordan's Turn look like? All through the kind of, the, the medium of this archive film. So that's, an, a, you know, an, another slant on youth. Um, there's Empire of the Sun and Big and uh, films that were certainly out when I was, when I was young. Um, and obviously your event. Of course. Of course. Let's talk of about course. the big one. <laughs> um, Carrie was, you know, is a film from a lot of our youth, maybe one of, one of the first horror films. I think I probably ever saw, um, and within that, obviously, there's a lot of themes tied up with youth. Will not give anything away, even though most people who want to go and see it will want to go and see it again. Um, we talked about this. I think everybody knows the ending of Carrie, even those who haven't <laughs> even seen Carrie. It's just one of those films that has transcend, transcended into popular culture. It's yeah, like we talked. We talked about this with our recent screening of Fatal Attraction. A lot of people hadn't seen the film who came to the screening. But yeah. they all know, like the terms, like the bunny boiler term, that I will not be ignored, Dan. They all know that without having seen yeah. it. So I think Carrie's one of those films. But uh, yeah, we're hoping to have a bit of fun with the strand. We're going to do a little prom night kind of night, and uh, hopefully people will come in formal attire. I'm going to dress up, and it's not often, Sarah, I dress up <laughs> in formal attire. I want to see pictures of that. <laughs> 
I, I don't know pictures might I don't know I just have to see if I haven't got the, the right dress yet you know who needs a suit <laughs> when you can have a dress but uh, yeah as you said there's there's absolutely loads I know Cinepunk are doing a screening of Clerks it's a film I absolutely mm-hmm. love you've mentioned already the likes of Ballyclare who are doing Ladybird and I, I know the Braid Film Theatre as well are doing as you mentioned Empire of the Sun there's loads I think like everything if there's something for everybody and if you can't find something you like I don't think you're trying to look hard hard enough through the programme. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So on that note, thank you very much, Sarah, and we look forward to Cinema Day this year. Thanks, Jim. So that's my interview with Sarah from Film Hub and Eyes. Okay, just kind of before we move on to talking about Hobbs and Shaw, what's caught your eye? We can't go through every single thing that's on at Cinema Day because there's just too much. There's over 30 events, as Sarah said there, but what's caught your eye? Unfortunately, nothing. And only because I'm not here. So it sort of depresses me that like The Greatest Showman's on. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is one of my favourite films. I cosplay as it, like I said. So all the singing along would have been in my element. So it's 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 broke my heart that I'm... Well, I'm in Spain, so it's not really all bad. But you can still, you know, in spirit, you can kind of get into your cosplay costume in the middle Think of Spain. I'm bringing that costume to Spain in that heat. No. That's coming up, but you could do it no. live. You could live stream it on Cinema Day from Spain. Don't even do it. I would do it too. <laughs> I would do it as well. I think that's what we're I'd be on the plane. On the way I'm that's what our listeners want. Because uh, funny even talking about Greatest Showman being on, on Cinema Day. I know Belfast Film Festival are doing the... The summer screenings at the Belfast City Hall, which are which were completely free, but they've sold out. One of the films, of course, they're doing is Greatest Showman. I was gutted because I came home that night hoping to get my lovely wife a ticket to Pitch Perfect, and all those things are are, are sold out. Just generally, I know we're kind of steering slightly away from Cinema Day, but what's your thoughts on those kind of those free cinema events? I find it a mixed bag because sometimes you get audiences that are there and they've paid nothing for it so they're not as respectful mm-hmm. as they should be but maybe I'm just an old fart. No, I think it, it comes back to what we were literally just saying about you the screening which was really mm-hmm. bad and sort of tainted your viewing of the film. It's different when it's a, it's a film that's been out and mm-hmm. you know, you've seen it. You, hopefully you'll have seen it before so you'll have had that first magical experience this I year. Don't, just... I don't think, I'm, as, as much as I love what the Belfast Film Festival do, I don't, and I think you see that with the films they've picked for those events. I know it's sold out, so we, we shouldn't really spend too much time talking about it. But no, the likes of Matilda, Pitch Perfect, Greatest Showman is one of the ones I've mentioned. Uh, I think they're doing Toy Story, one of the, I think it's Toy Story, possibly Toy Story 3, I'm not quite certain. But it's films that people will have seen, as you said. I mm-hmm. don't think it's the space to see films for the first time. No, definitely no, no. not. Definitely not. And I don't think anybody really would. I mean, I, I know. You I, never know. I, know. I certainly wouldn't go to a open free screening of yeah. a film that was just newly released if I wanted to see it, it just because I would get really angry if anyone was talking yeah. and anyone was doing anything because there, there'd be no it's hard to describe it's not like there'd be ushers you'll be able to go and complain and mm-hmm. about it you'd sort of feel a bit if Chris's there even though he's not working at the Odin he'll he'll go into usher mode don't worry no it's not it's just you'd feel obliged to, like well they're in here free as well as everybody else so you can't do you know what I mean? It'll just have it a bit tainted, I think. I think the advantage I think the advantage you've got is that all the choices are pretty much for families and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. therefore there wouldn't be any particular larks around. You know, parents would be bringing their kids there to, to have a yeah. nice time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but generally bringing it, but then bringing it back then to Cinema Day, you've mentioned The Greatest Showman. It's on at a couple of sites. I know mm-hmm. at a few of them it's already sold out. It's proven in demand because it's, 
a free screening, but you give money towards Cash for Kids and I, which I think is a great cause. I think that's a great thing about Cinema yeah. Day. You get so many films and the tickets are four pound. And I mentioned that point I made earlier on, going to cinema now has got expensive. Yeah, definitely. You know, even just for my wife and I, even though we have our limitless cards, get our plug in there since we're recording at the Odeon, you could still easily spend £20 by the time you've got your crap at the cinema. Yeah, my heart broke that my daughter's too old now to class as part of a family ticket. Oh, just just, just, just just dress her younger. Breaks. If they weren't both taller than me, we probably could get away with that. Just get an oversized pram and just bring yeah, them in Yeah, just pram. wheel them in. No, yeah. I could go in the bloody pram then. Um, <laughs> no, um... Yeah, why don't you just do a switcher? Why don't you try for the younger ticket? Have you seen the wrinkles? Sorry, they're not wrinkles, they're crinkles. Oh, okay. Julia Roberts said in that Snow White film, but no, um, oh, it breaks my heart. But sometimes the cinemas aren't too bad. They'll, it's a family, it's mummy and yeah. daddy and two kids. They're not as strict, but it still, still broke my heart rattling up. I think we spent £50 one day going to the cinema with four it's, of us. It's, it's, different. it's different when they want to get a family ticket for a 15 fil- rated film. So it's, um, yeah, when they're trying to get a family ticket for It Chapter 2. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, that, that wouldn't work. Think it's your yeah, well, the family work. tickets are only built for the fil- kind of films we're discussing, are like Showman yeah. and Pitch Perfect, mm. so that's totally reasonable. But like, no enough for Pennywise, God, could you imagine? This is my There is people who will try. Yep. But there's loads, as, as we kind of said in Sarah, there's loads going on. There's some of my favourites, Empire of the Sun, which I absolutely love. I know Cinepunked are doing a screening at Accidental Theatre. They're showing clerks and I'm going to be having a talk afterward. Because the theme this year is youth. That's why, you know, shameless plug time, Bannerflix, we're doing the screening of Carrie at the Strand. We're going to, going to go for a prom night theme. Although technically it's the formal prom, is that really a... I don't know. You, me, you have you have a teenage daughter. Is is the is it still formal? Here? It's called the formal. Format, okay. Yeah, she's already talking about it. For hers isn't even until like the end of next year, but she's been talking about it from okay the ones in the the fifth year. I'd started planning for theirs. Like she has her dress picked and everything, and she got her ears pierced for it now. Like literally, okay. a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, I don't even think I was that prepared for mine. Like I spent thirty quid in a dress in New York that was on sale, and you know. Maybe they, that's just me as a person. I so you would have done there. like the prom thing? Oh no, we were formal. It was always oh, a formal because we had the pre-formal, the after-formal. Okay. It was always a formal. I always wished it was a prom because I thought it turned it more. This is why the Uber eighties. This is why the Uber eighties horror film will never be a British one. Prom night sounds much slashery. Formal night sounds like a British comedy that the yeah, Monty like Pythons prom. tried to do yeah. after their career. Yeah. No. Yeah. It should go back to being a prom. Kind of, or not even go back to, just become a prom thing. Because a formal is just, it could be your formal dinner. It could be, you have plenty of well, them when you grow up. Well, all I can say is I'm hopefully going to rival your daughter in planning. Because I'm planning my dress for our screening at the Strand. Fabulous. Hopefully it won't be too revealing. I'll have to shave the legs, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. Nair, Nair works so Nair. much better. But yeah. also, I mean, on that note as well, you know, at the Strand, just before our screening, we've got the screen of Heathers, which is a film I absolutely adore. There's so much. But it's there. clashing my private Idaho. My own this private is, Idaho. This is true. Um, I've not seen either, so I, it's it's going to be a coin toss, I think. Mm-hmm. This is very true, Chris. So so you've mentioned one of those screeners, because this is the, the downside to Cinema Day when there's so much on. It's like the Belfast Film Festival. It's like Sophie's Choice. Will I see this? Will I see that? As much as I would love to encourage everyone to see The Commitments, The Commitments is on. It's one of the, the joke of The Commitments. I love The Commitments. It, the joke is every time there was a film festival in Belfast in the noughties, the Commitments was always played. Yeah. Not a bad thing about that. Well, sure, no, Good Vibrations has kind of taken over that mantle. Oh, yeah. yeah. <gasps> double Night. That, that'd be a really good mm-hmm. Double Night in. Faculty's on as well, so be still my teenage heart. Yes, Faculty of Film. One of the very first films we ever screened at Bandflix. Oh. Many, many, well, I say many years ago. I think it was like four years ago we screened The Faculty mm-hmm. to a packed audience. And uh, it'll be interesting to see because it's a film, as much as I love it, there's parts of it I have dated. Just some of the special effects have dated. But no, it's, I mean, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the Breakfast Club generation. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else, Chris, caught your eye? Oh, I, I, I was noting them all down because, oh, Lady Bird's also on. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that's the barn. It. That's at the Ballyclare Picture House guys are doing that, which are, who are a great bunch of guys. We've, mm-hmm. we've been and done events with them in the past, yeah? Anything oh, yeah. else, Chris? Oh, Robotics Workshop with the Iron Giant. I adore the Iron Giant. I think it's yeah. the greatest animated film of the 90s. It even beats the Rugrats movie. Um, oh, sorry, 90s, 90s, 90s. The first one, the first Rugrats movies was 90s. The yes, second the one, one in Naughties. Paris is not Naughties. Was Naughties. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very good. No, first I think it was Paris, embarrassing. I actually think Rugrats in Paris is fun. John Lithgow. He's the assistant to Susan Sarandon's villain. Yeah, John Lithgow improves everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's oh well it, again as you said there's too much so West Side Story and Jumanji's also playing um, although listeners will not be able to see me distance myself for safety reasons because I can't stand The Greatest Showman <gasps> why okay. can you not stand it it's fabulous it's just feel good it's uh, not theatric it's not historically accurate at all I don't mind uh, do you remember what I was saying earlier I don't mind if they take you know artistic okay, license okay, but, Chris, it's, but, it's two, two against one here but, I'm not a big fan yeah. of The Showman either but <gasps> I can't I don't mind it, but I'm not. I, it is such a feel good film. I, I I listen to the soundtrack as I do my dishes. I'm fine with that. And yeah, the soundtrack, I, but it's just. And as much as I adore Zafron, I adore him. I I know. I I I. I, I so he doesn't I, get enough of a credit in that film. The barman in the scene where they're having that the, uh, duet with Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron. That bar, that barman does not get the credit he deserved for. Betty didn't even get a tip either. <laughs> bet he didn't bet he didn't but yeah no he just he was probably one of, and sounds really bad to say but he was probably one of for me a character who was a background character which made it something a bit more special that makes sense I liked him I, I thought it was fine it was serviceable I I have a real soft spot for musicals I'm the person who when it came out gave Rock of Ages four stars out of five I, I love that film because a big as much of a mess as it was Greatest Showman as as mad as it was it just felt like a product that was perfectly marketed it, it didn't have like the edge to say something like grease I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I love aren't they doing a sequel this this is the part someone told me they're doing I'm another not sure. one I can't I see hope... why they wouldn't be no. greatest uh, showmans yeah. showmans but I just I hope hey they... we're getting a grease prequel you know who thought we needed that oh god you know this is the thing where there's money to be made studios will always would that be set in the 40s straight after world war 2 that might be quite gritty it's not going to be. It'll be it, gritty rather than greasy. It's basically, you know, the little. It's probably going to be a prequel, but set in the flipping naughty. <laughs> it's summer loving. I it's think just going to be the summer. Called. No, okay. It deals. Oh, okay. It deals with their summer fling that you see all too, very, very briefly at the start of. Greece. So will it put to an end that it was? Did you ever hear the urban legend or the myth around the film that it was always sandy? Whenever the part in the song where she nearly drowned, there's been this whole fan theory thing where maybe she did drown, and this was whole her <laughs> her comatose dream sequence kind of thing, and her dark. in the car. <laughs> have you never heard this no. oh my goodness I like it I though heard, I heard this in the, when they go up in the car and it yeah. flies away in the end that's her going to oh I like the afterlife so she's been in purgatory she's, no she's been in a, like a coma okay. kind of thing because right, right, right. I saved her life she nearly drowned okay you know hmm. but did she drown and there's a whole I remember I read the theory and was like where is else this, would you get an angel, like a beauty angel, popping down to tell them to go back to school? Or? Is, is this like the, the theories about like how Paul McCartney died in a car crash when they just got a replacement to carry on with the Beatles? But they said the same yeah. about Avril Lavigne, Lavigne in yeah. the past 10 years. Yeah, I've heard that as well. But no, this is just something. And So at least if they bring out Summer Loving, it'll put... <laughs> wouldn't it be great if it ended with her dying? Like, <laughs> does, that mean, does, that mean, does that mean David Lynch is directing it? <laughs> Could you imagine? Could yes. you imagine how Grease, how Grease the prequel ends, Sandy died? I would love to see David Lynch <laughs> mm-hmm. direct a musical. But that's just me. Uh, yeah, as I said, there's there's loads. Check out Film Hub and I's website. There's absolutely loads going on. 
And it's a great showcase of the community cinema groups that are going on throughout Northern Ireland and the, like the venues up in Derry. We have the QFT taking place here. There's absolutely loads. So if you can't find something, as I said to Sarah there in the interview, you're not trying. Mm. And with that, we shall move on to part two of the podcast. Pick a door. All right, then. No, that's my door. Pick another door. What's wrong with you? You know what? You were right. This is your door. What's the matter? You got a lot of bad guys behind that door? So that's a clip of Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. And as I said in the introduction, we're all out of the screen at the movie house cinemas of this film. You know, there's not much setup really needed. There's a spin-off from the Fast and Furious franchise. We've got Hobbs and Shaw. We have Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham now starring in a kind of Tango and Cash-esque, over-the-top nonsense movie blockbuster. And... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's needs really needs to be much set up, so I'll start with you, Gabrielle. Without going into spoilers, we can spoiler if you feel the need to at a certain point, but just your initial thoughts of the film. It was good for the ladies, we'll go with that. Um, it just seemed to drag on, if I'm honest, like the story just took a while and it just took a lot to get invested into it, but as a, as a female, and there was... Dwayne Johnson was top off. There was Roman Reigns was top off. There was you went to like into nineties fifties. Oh, black I went woman during that. Oh mercy! Oh mercy, mercy! Oh, I do declare. Um, oh, totally. I mean, we Jason, were just nearly Jason as racist Statham. as Disney's songs of the South. There, just for <laughs> yeah. a second, you know, I apologize. Um, no, Jason Statham and um, Idris Elba were just beautiful and absolutely beautiful. So that was probably my highlight, if I'm totally honest. Um, yeah, certainly would have wanted to get up and down his. Pogo, as they said in it, oh, was it? <laughs> Gabrielle, you <laughs> went there. I went there. I went there. This is a, high, this is a highbrow <laughs> film review podcast, and you've just reduced... I'll go our, one better. Reduced... It gave me the lady boner. There you go. Oh. <laughs> On that note, good night, everybody. Thank you very much. I, I didn't get a lady boner for the film. I don't know how... I think about it. I mean, it's we're just out of the screening, so it's kind of an innocent review. You've kind of mentioned it is long, and we were talking about earlier on with It Chapter 2 that it's going to be nearly three hours. This is two hours 20, and I have no problem with films that have a long runtime if they can justify it, but this film could have been really easily edited down. I, I looked at my watch, and that's never a good test. I looked at my watch, and it was like, there's another hour of this, or at least 50 minutes of this. This is either going to be one hell of a long one hell of a set piece or just a really overlong set piece and the whole stuff when they go back to Samoa there's a set piece and I feel you know I there's certain things I don't want to spoil but there's certain things that if you've seen any of the trailers for this it gives away the entire beats of the yeah. film it literally is the last trailer that we saw in the cinema and I always try to stay away from trailers if I can you can't sometimes you just can't avoid trailers and if you're in the cinema you can't sit with your eyes closed and your hands in your ears and the trailer is pretty much this film condensed mm -hmm. into two and a half minutes. And if yeah. the trailer can do it, why can't the editor? It's like it, it was like someone trying to ask for a favor, but went around the houses to get to the point. Yeah. It was just like it reminds me a lot of stuff like the John Woo Mission Impossible Two. There's similar plot beats yeah, there. Yeah, I see that. There's a lot of stuff going on. As I said, there is a, a strong nod of Tango and Cash because we have the two central characters. They're like apples and pears, and you see that in the opening set piece where. You know, one likes to paint, another one likes to, to work out, another one likes to fry his egg, another one uh, likes, likes to, to drink just drink oh, them raw. Rank. And the kind of, without spoiling it, but the mantra of the film is, if they just get along and work together, you know, the world would be saved. But but that's me going off on a little ramble. What about you, Chris? Without going into spoilers, what do you, what do you think of the film? 
my review is not going to be as sexually charged as Gabrielle's. <laughs> uh, I'm very I, disappointed. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I particularly liked Jason Statham. Uh, there so were po- there were points <laughs> for his comic timing. Uh, there were points I felt. Am I watching an episode of Bottom that didn't make it uh, out? Um, because of the hurling of abuse towards one another before they get to their supposed bromance. Um, the set pieces are good and big and. But I will agree that it was quite long. Um, but then again, I suppose I get goes back to my point from part one of the podcast: bang for your buck. You know, you 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 do. People pay seven eight pounds for a cinema ticket and get maybe an hour. But then again, that goes against the debate of quality over quantity. Anyway, um, isn't it funny though? You mentioned Mission Impossible two this time last year. Mission Impossible six mm-hmm. was out, and I got many rave. Rev- I got. Many were reviews from from guests at Odeon Belfast. I would have been one of them too. Yeah, but I did get various folk, and I was one of them. I really enjoyed Mission Impossible Six, and I have nothing invested in that series. Mm-hmm. But I was exhausted at the end of it because of the, the 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 sheer amount of set pieces that came along. Kind of that fatigue happened at the end of this film as well. Yeah, I would agree. Like this is it's it's weird. Like with Universal, don't have a superhero franchise. Well, they mm-hmm. do. They've got it in Fast and Furious. And it's it's crazy to think. It's God, I, God rest the mummy. Yeah, because oh, they tried let, to. Let's mm. let's not talk about that. Let's I mean, not talk you, about... you think Fast and Furious? You think it's gonna be cars? I mean, and even in like the posters, you see Fast and Furious is bolder than the Hobbs and Shaw. Part. Yeah, and well, Fast and Furious is not something I'm totally invested in. Um, you know, you think of cars, you think of fast cars, you think of scantily clad ladies yeah you think it's scantily clad ladies but um there was there was none really of that and it sort of disappointed me in the way it seemed to lull in that audience Mm -hmm. who have built this this franchise to where it is now with the amount of movies with fast and furious there's going to be fast cars there's going to be something exciting like that to then it's basically like you said tango and cash but hobbs and shaw this is just where fast and furious is headed to like it that's what i was going to say like it's scary to think that I think it's 2001, the first Fast and Furious yeah. film with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker was out. And that was a film that was, you know, it's basically Point Break, but with cars. Yeah. That's basically the mantra. Once we see Fast and Furious 5 and Dwayne The Rock Johnson appearing, the franchise has kind of evolved into kind of a Mission Impossible-esque. Yeah. This it's also aiming. For, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, okay. It's also aiming for the family audience because I remember. I mean, I remember being in high school. Part of the WMF bombs. Yeah. I, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Now, now we get the odd F But I mean, I, first film is very much a product of its time. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it last summer and I loved it. And I and you know I was never into the music or the, this particular scene, but I just I loved it for its its pure charm and the the uh, the uh, driving about etc. and all, all the stunts. And then the second one is really poor CGI with drugs and hoes, of and course. John and, Singleton. Yeah, and poor John Singleton. R.I.P. And I saw the third one and I was bored. And then I saw the fourth one and I, and I gave up after that. So and I'm and I feel I've been I've been told that that's actually the worst point to drop off because then they do evolve into more family friendly um, escapades and and this is aiming for that. But I would also like to say, remember what you said about Fast and Furious. It's not giving you what the the rest of the series would normally give you. Yeah. 
for me that was fine because again i have nothing invested in mm. the original series and it's a bit what we were discussing oh yeah earlier, to- i would agree that, with you that, it's totally the same you know, but but for again cinema cinema is meant to be open for everyone mm-hmm. so for me who is coming new to this i actually was i found it easier to grasp oh yeah i will agree with you on that yeah. but what i'm meaning is people who are oh, totally, invested yes. in the fast and furious and, and who think cars 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 are going to come in and be like well there's still there is still plenty of cars like we there's have about, yeah there's a lot of yeah, there's like about a 30-second nos. Well, you've got, you know, about Jason the- Statham's character, um, Shaw. De- yeah, Jason Statham's character, Shaw, Deckard Shaw, is driving a lovely McLaren around London, ah, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful car. There's still the car porn there. It's maybe just less obvious, prominent. Probably. But as I come back to the point, the franchise has evolved, you know, in the last film. We saw we, there's a big sequence involving a submarine. In Fast and Furious 5, you've got that, that never-ending runway. So it's kind of moved away from the streetcar stuff anyway, but by doing the Hobbs and Shaw thing, it just says, look, we can move away now. We don't have to be the pretense it's a film about cars and fast cars. Although, as you say, Fast and Furious is still front and centre there. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's serviceable. So you're right. talking about um, moving away from a franchise's main components. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marvel have the advantage that they have so many characters with an array of abilities in certain areas of the galaxy as well and that they can be creative with each one of them and, you know, they can meet up at some point. But, but, but. but I was thinking about this the other day about the Final Destination series. It's a horror series. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one is, I think the first one's fabulous. I mm-hmm. think the second one does an Evil Dead too and becomes mm-hmm. a lot funnier, a lot gorier. And then you get, but number four I'm thinking of is when the big set pieces come out and for a horror that doesn't particularly work for Fast and Furious however that you know it's easier for Universal to open up bigger set pieces mm-hmm. you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dwayne Johnson punches a, a space rocket heading towards Earth in the next one but they can hold a helicopter but, he could probably yeah. do that but but with I do have a lot of gripes with the Hollywood grip that Dwayne Johnson has on display during this film there's pits where he can just you know hold on to a pole or a, mm-hmm. yeah who are misses he can hold on to a pole as he slides down a building that sounds wrong i, could just, I could just feel <laughs> the, i could just feel the rope burn or yeah. the the i know it was metal so i don't know what that word you is, lucky girl no no <laughs> that that really irked me in that part there is, you're expecting pain or something. there is a lot of this that it's kind of they're trying to create another kind of mission impossible kind of s franchise yeah. there's a, a, a kind of secretive organization is it et etium etium but we've got this and their kind of plans is that they want to kind of bring about uh, a better class of human by you know preventing our apocalypse by augmenting and changing human ph- uh, physio- physiology when's the apocalypse again 2096 wasn't yeah. it <laughs> and we haven't we've got this far we haven't really talked about idris elba's character is brixton the black superman or you know mm-hmm. black robocop or whatever there's there's loads of stuff and his character there's parts with him it reminds me so much of the stuff with Iron Man where we see inside the suit mm-hmm. it comes back mm-hmm. they are retooling this as a superhero franchise yeah. no matter and he's fine you know you've got good he actors d- he doing... doesn't get to pardon the pun flex his muscle as much as Johnson maybe would no he, he definitely doesn't but when you have good actors when you have the likes of Dwayne Johnson when you have the likes of Jason Statham Idris Elba we have, I think there's a lot of cameos. I think the one we can easily talk about is Helmeron because she was in the last yes. one and she's there at the start. And then you've also got Vanessa Kirby popping up in a mm-hmm. new character. Yet another kind of easy kind of writer's comment. Let's give him a sister. We ha- he had a brother, now he's got a sister and she holds her own. And one thing I did like yeah. about coming back to your lady boner yeah. comment, Gabrielle, she's never objectified. 
during the film. She's no. never looked at in a leery kind of way. They you, give her the respect of that there, I have to say. Which like. is what the mm-hmm. franchise needed. It's one of the things I know Michelle Rodriguez was kind of talking about. Yes, there is some, some at the, particularly at the start of the film, a couple of gratuitous booty shots. Mm-hmm. We've come to expect that from the Fast and Furious franchise, but... It is most definitely not as mm-hmm. obvious. As but she's, she's she holds her own... And she's kind of like the Rebecca Ferguson kind of S character we see in the Mission Impossible stuff. But I, I know I said about this one, we, and it's, I don't think it's a spoiler. They make this whole effort to try and not have her overly sexualized. But yes, yet yeah, there still feels the need to have a romantic angle between her and Dwayne Johnson. Then there's this comment halfway through the film where Dwayne's kind of talking to Jason Statham's character about how, you know, it's not climb the mountain that's yeah. what that's what i meant to say earlier I it's not remember what it was it's there. not the 1950s anymore you know yeah. if she's a she's a strong independent woman if she wants to saddle up and ride this well-endowed rock whatever they climb <laughs> this climb this mountain climb, i'll let her climb it says, all like, night climb, long. climb this samoan mountain yeah let her and you're just like you're kind of undone yourself with all this and then just reduce her down to someone but who just if, wants to have sex if you're honest if he's trying to wind if if you think of it in a trying to be a realistic term, he's trying to wind up, you know, Jason Statham's character. So the best way to do it is by doing that. I mean, if he sat there and says, I mean, I, she totally has some nice eyes that I would really like to gaze into at some point. You'd be like, oh, God, away, go away. Yeah. So it kept in the why. Yes, I understand it sort of takes it back a bit by objectifying her. But it's, it's the film doesn't do it. His character does it to wind up. Mm. That's how I seen it anyway. But you know, you're, you're, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I just think you need to be clever as writers nowadays, mm-hmm. and just say you don't need that in. It is just so. I come back to the similarities I pointed out with Tango and Cash because mm-hmm. in Tango and Cash, there's a sister. One of them wants to get with the sister, and she becomes a love interest. There's still things I think Vanessa Kirby's character. She's more than just a love interest, yeah, and definitely. she's more than just a damsel in distress. She holds her own, but especially in the action scene, she does really yeah. well. I thought very, it'll, very well. It'll be interesting to see, but talking of actions there's just too many mm-hmm. and i'm starting to i'm starting to definitely bite the, the some are better than others as well some are and yeah. what I, I like the fact there's a lot of practical stuff hmm. i know there'll, there'll definitely be you know cgi to kind of well, I perfect it, it i mean i go back to too fast too furious there's a heck of a lot of cgi and that's mm. what i mean by 2003 standards it's it's not good watching it now i mean i don't think the film was good in general at the beginning but it's it's terrible you yeah. see now I was quite happy. The only see- thing I remember from Too Fast, Too Furious is the sequence of the rat. That's it. The rat trying to burrow out of a hot tin into someone's body. That's it. Oh, yes. It's pretty okay. nasty and pretty hard. I think that's... But coming <laughs> back to this, I, I come back. I think they are trying to retool it now as a rival to Bond and a rival mm-hmm. to Mission Impossible. When you see there's so many practical effects being done and practical set pieces, there's a lot of stunt work, which I'm always a big champion for. I think there should be an Oscar for best stunt, but that's another discussion for another day. And you see, yeah, again, like, when will scientists learn? You know, another another kind of create another virus that can destroy mankind. The aptly named Snowflake, which ugh, it's granted it felt like a Thunderbirds episode. At least it's not, you know, geriatric. Kind of, at least it's not the tried and tested MacGuffin that we usually see in these kind of films. The kind of MacGuffin that can control all technology and all this kind of stuff that we've seen in films before. Particularly in the last Fast and Furious film, we saw that kind of generic MacGuffin that so many of these kind of films have. But then they throw in this new shady organization, and there's a whole stuff about fake news, and they're using that then to an extent to retcon you know, Shaw's character that, mm-hmm. yes, he was a villain and he pretty much is a villain in Fast and Furious 7. At the end of 6, we see him, you know, he kills mm-hmm. one of the central characters. That's kind of been conveniently forgotten about. 
And it's interesting to see we have Idris Elba playing a villain here. I wouldn't be surprised to see him popping up if there is another Hobbs and Shaw. There's definitely breadcrumbs for another one. If he then is retconned in as, oh, he was a baddie, but he's now going to be a good one. Charlize Theron is returning in the next Fast and Furious film. She was the villain in that. Yeah. We don't know what role she's going to have. I, I don't know. I can already see another Fast and Furious spinoff where Harlem Mirren gets to escape from prison and does a sort of Hatton job. Then do we get into Red? And then, and, and, then, <laughs> and then it would be... It would be the first Fast and Furious movie to targetly be targeted towards an older, the the Grey Pound, shall we say? That would be you don't like to say. Well, she wanted to be in the last one. Yeah. She wanted to be, as long as she got to drive a fast car, and she did in Fast and Furious 8. So she's, whether she's going to be back in Fast and Furious 9 or whether she's now going to be in, you know, Hobbs and Shaw 2 if it comes out. But I think it's fine. I just think there's too much throughout the time of lazy writing, predictable writing, where you, you know where it's going to go. You know if you've seen the trailer, you know that they're going to have to go back to Samoa, and then it's just convenient that certain. Then it's char- just then it's just WrestleMania. Yeah, and then it, but then it's just it's convenient that certain characters they need to go see. Oh, we we need this fixed. Oh, my brother, he can fix anything. You're like, all right, okay. But he's a mechanic, but yeah. yet he knows all these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. It's also convenient that they come back to the island and it just so happens to be a storm the next day that might may or may not help them, and then characters appearing in sequences and action scenes when. You wouldn't want them there. They, you mm-hmm. would be back, you know. I'm not just saying that. Like, I don't want to go into spoiler by saying too much, but there's too many times the the plot is convenient. It's contrived just to move it on to the next set piece. I still say all I could say at a certain point was like um Mau- like Maui, you're mm. welcome. That's all I could. That <laughs> you know the part I'm talking about with the thing. Yes. Yeah. Is this when you had is, your lady boner? No, this, I told you Dwayne Johnson is not. It's Jason Statham. Okay, is sorry. The, <laughs> It's just that's all I could literally say. And then when you throw his daughter into the mix, I was waiting on Moana starting to mm. rock on out. It's fine. There is, it's kind of getting into comedy movie mm-hmm. territory with a lot of cameos. There's a lot of cameos. I don't really want to spoil the cameos, but there is a few. <laughs> when you see that actor showing up, it's hard to think of anything else. But that? It's pretty much, right, you're doing that stick again. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to do. I want to see you do And it's not that I don't like him. He's a very likable actor or actress. He is but... literally now pigeonholed. Yeah. That's it. He'll never be anything else. She'll never be anything else. Yeah. They will never be anything else. Yeah. That. I, I don't. It's it's fine. I, 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 it sounds like I'm really down on it. I, I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. But then there was a point where I said, right, okay. Hurry up I, and get to the point. I, I want to get to the end now because mm-hmm. I want to go home. You know, yeah. you, you don't need to be two hours, 20 minutes. It's the same length as John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, baby. And I'd rather have John. And that comes back to a point that I, I, I compare it to. John Wick has moved the action movie franchise on. There's so much of this Marvel MCU violence and, you know, stuff happening without any real consequences. Mm-hmm. Like people are, you know, they're they're falling out of windows, they're hit, falling into cars, and they come up with just a little scratch. Mm-hmm. John Wick at least give us action with an action Real sequences living. with with consequences mm-hmm. and there's a visceral nastiness to it. And for all the F bombing and stuff. It's still a 12A. And it's... It, it reminds me of a film. Remember Total Recall? Now, it doesn't mm-hmm. remind me of Total Recall. It reminds me of how when Arnie came out of it, he smacked the window and he was like, oh, it hurt. It was that yeah. kind of how the films were back then. It was just very like... Well, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? They kind was, of, yeah. Do you notice they kind of go through little surges? Because the 80s, you know, Total Recall was early 90s. And I remember also, there was another film around that era. I mean, Arnie went through various films in the in the 80s that were 
commando in particular, I will shoot as many bullets as possible and hit all the targets. However, they will continue to shoot and not one will hit me. Yeah. But Total Recall and kind of changes that. Then you get the 90s and you've got, you know, you don't, 90s weren't really big for action films. Hey, and, Rambo except, took on the entire Soviet Union mm-hmm. in Rambo 3. Oh, yes. Uh, and, but I mean, well, Die Hard had the, you know, the wonderful moment with the, the glass sticking in the feet. I love that moment. Uh, so does Terry Gilliam. Um, but you, you saw that fall. You saw it kind of resurge a bit with Born Identity. You know, for example, a guy falls off uh, a roof or something and he hurts his leg. And then for the rest of the movie, he is limping. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's kind of gone back the way. Yeah. I, so I don't... Maybe maybe we just go through surges or maybe they have to go around this circle for yeah, whatever generation is out. By the way, action films can be intelligent as yeah, well. Yeah, because it's, like, it's coming back to like bringing back to Marvel. Marvel films can be as violent as they want. Where aliens are concerned, mm. as long as it's alien blood, if it's human blood, if it's red blood, they it's automatically a fifteen. Mm. But when it's you know fantasy action and fa- fantasy and sci-fi, if you have blue blood, whatever it is splattering all over the place, it's you can still stick to a twelve. It's one of those ob- 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 kind of absurdities of the the BBFC. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird thing. It's I know it's just a niggly thing for me, but I'm I'm thirty seven now. I kind of want a film that relates to me as 37 that's yeah. why i love the john wick stuff as as flawed as i thought parabellum was again i thought parabellum was slightly too long but at least there was a film that felt like it was for me it's like yeah. logan you know when you oh, watched it logan. logan there was a nastiness to it that sounded like right this is a film for me this feels like a film i have to share my space with you know the 11 year old the rowdy 11 year olds and yeah kinda, they want to go see hobbs and shaw that's just me being grumpy. I, I don't know. I think it's serviceable. Just kind of before we move on to the and finally part of the podcast, you know, generally I think you've both been kind of you've both been kind of positive about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a positive film. It's a fun family yeah. film. If you don't look too much into it, it's probably the best way to sum it up. It's great if you just don't think too much about it. Okay. I've been accused of being a pretentious fart at times, and when it comes to action films, I I, I mean. Dwayne Johnson, I like Dwayne Johnson. I really like Skyscraper from last year. Mm-hmm. I th- I don't think it got enough credit. I really didn't like Rampage, although I know you did. But I really didn't like it. I, I mean, especially when there's the vulgar moment that the monkey does. And the, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you so don't I, need that. I was, I was, nope, the mop. Uh, up and board. There's, um, have you not seen Rampage? No. Okay. Don't the, t- right no, no, no. Well, without There's a crude sexual reference near yes, the end and in the it, film's final moments. For a film that's about an oversized gorilla fighting other oversized griblies and monsters it's fine and serviceable it's kind of like a disaster movie and it follows all those kind of tropes and cliches and then just in the final moments we have a this gorilla that understands sign language makes a comment which which actually you know coming back to that point i made just because you mentioned rampage rampage didn't really have a love angle yeah there were two characters that were equal whilst that sequence completely undermined that mm. The, the, my only gripe with this is, do we need to have a love interest between Dwayne Johnson and Vanessa Kirby? It doesn't move the plot yeah, on. No, yeah. And it's just like, why? It's just a kind of tried and tested 80s thing. Actually, yeah. looking back, it might have actually been a better film if uh, if it was Jason Statham and his sister reuniting and Dwayne Johnson wasn't consulted as all. Not going for a Game of Thrones thing, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen most of Game of Thrones, so don't get that reference. Yes, no. you do. Yes, you do. Uh, not on a Cersei, Jamie Lannister kind yeah. of, kind of, kind of bonding. No, we're not going to go where we're a child friendly. No, no, I, I did. I, I wasn't. I don't know what you're on about. No, I, <laughs> it, it's one of the things I scribbled down because the Fast and Furious stuff—they've always been about family. They've always mm-hmm. been and stressed the importance of, of family throughout the whole series. This one is kind of like 
well, we have broken families and they'll come together by the end mm-hmm. of the film and they'll, you know, be able to be wholesome families again. We see, you know, spoiler, the Rock, kind of the Rock's character, you know, he re, re kind of... Moana and Maui were yep. to the island, yep. Yeah, we see with Hobbs' character, we see that he reintegrates back into Samoan culture and we see the kind of, with Shaw's character, the reunification of his family and also that kind of really, really laboured point. If you guys would just get along, you could save the world and you're like, oh... Come on, get over it. But yeah, again, I sound like I'm being really nasty and grumpy about it. It's it's fine. It's for me. It's a three star film. Yeah, it's a three star. Yeah. Agree. It's not going to test your your IQ, but I don't think you'd expect that from Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. We also have to realize it is coming to the end of July summer blockbuster season. I mean, we. Uh, I remember years ago the joke being, um, "It's summertime, so all the films that come out with a number on the end of the title." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, true. And then that's and that's it. It just seems a number game, really. Yeah, it's true. It's going to make a lot of money. There's probably going to be a sequel. We know there's going to be a Fast and Furious Nine. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing really we can do to hurt it. So, no, not really. So on that note, we shall wrap up and move on to part three of the podcast. And you're the biggest liar of them all. I am warning you. You tell me another, and I'll rescue you myself. That is a promise, Miss Rose, Sister Rose. Of course, another plant, Rose. So, guys, that's a clip of the Wicker Man remake with Nicolas Cage, which nicely sets up what we're going to talk about in our and finally part of the podcast. Since the Belfast Film Festival, who we mentioned earlier on, are having cage Rama this weekend at the Black Box, I just thought I'd, I'd close this podcast by asking you roughly, like, what are some of your favourite Nick Cage performances? Con Air. Con Air and Gone in 60 Seconds would probably... Not that I... You think by this podcast I have a real love for films about cars. I think you have Lady Gunner for cars. I actually don't. I actually don't. It actually annoys me, but I just like that... Are you just in denial? No, I like the... Weirdly enough, again, I like the brother's relationship in Gone in 60 Seconds. How he was doing it to save his brother and there was that good story behind it. But the big one, Con Air, I think will always be my... Favorite Nicolas Cage. Me and, me and my hobby still talk about if he's trying to like hide something for Christmas or put the bunny back <laughs> in the box. It's always that. It's always the. It's just something love it. You know, I just one of my favorites. It's one of my lovely wife's favorites as well. Anytime it's on, it's one of those films like the likes of Jaws, which you know has been back in cinemas. You can just drop in at any point. Mm-hmm. Granted, you don't want to be at the Vegas when you're dropping in and switching it over, and you see, oh, suddenly there's. Yeah, oh, no, 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 no. Not when they're at Vegas. You're kind of, as long as you're still on, on the plane. Like Pinball. Oh, wasn't yeah. that his character name? Pinball, run, you know. But there's yeah. something like, you kind of think, like, isn't Steve Buscemi in that? He's yes. kind of the creepy guy. Yeah. He's a. Um, Cy- no, Cyrus the Virus is the. John Malkovich. The, John Malkovich's character. Oh, that's going to annoy me because it was everyone was got, really scared of him getting on the plane. But it's that line that of the you know, it's really it's really bizarre. Is he not? Is he not the Hannibal really cannibal? Scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's, he was like, but, he's it, got the whole but is that line he makes too much really twisted? We're playing Leonard Skinner and they were killing him in a plane crash. And you've got John Cusack in that. Oh, John Cusack just frantically around, yeah. frantically driving in cars and nearly uh, getting blown up. Not to mm-hmm. mention for those of us with romanticized, romanticized. For that, for those of us of a romantic nature, Leanne Rhymes. Yes, how do I? I believe she was fourteen when she sang that. No, I didn't actually know that. Yep, fourteen when she sang that song. Absolutely amazing, amazing song, which still is one of my favorites today. But it was, like, I just loved it. And if I'm honest, is going to sound really ridiculously. I get remember I've said before I can get dead deep into things. Mm-hmm. Is how the justice system worked on him because he had been trained he then therefore got punished much harder than someone who had maybe just been a grot bag and 
you know, like the people who attacked him probably didn't get, wouldn't have got as much as he did because he was the law abiding citizen, but mm -hmm. because he had never been in trouble and he had some kind of training, it just, what he that needed, was always something that annoyed me about it. What he needed was Jared Butler showing up just to kind of defend him as Jared Butler is a famous law abiding citizen. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But you know, you know what I mean. It's just it kind of stretched the breaking point joke there. Yes. Uh, no. It, do, do you know what I mean? That's where I think. That's like another mum's favourite man, Gerald Butler. Gerard Butler. Yeah, mummy right. likes him. He's all right. He's he's not my favourite. I'll be honest. He's no. He's no Jason Statham. No, he's no Jason Statham. No, he's no Jason Statham. I like him in that he's a normal looking guy. He's not all like eight pack ripped. He's a normal guy, and he could be literally anyone if you know what i mean and that's what i think is endearing about jared butler but sometimes when you go to a movie you don't want someone who can be just anyone you just want you know you just want someone to give you a lady boner pretty much that's, pretty that's much that's my new word for the day yeah uh chris what about you moving away from lady boners what about you what are your favorite nick cage <laughs> oh the worker man obviously yeah you can't yeah. beat the nick the no, bees the bees but do you, know, do you know what it's funny because he did uh he did family man the worker man and the weatherman so he did an, a comedy trilogy without actually realizing it um, my favorite Nicolas Cage movie is Wild at Heart. Maybe because I'm um, the David Lynch fan. And Laura that, Dern, isn't that? that playing yes. against type, completely against type from what we've seen her in uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Villain Dafoe. And then Isabella Rosalie shows up and uh, and it's wonderfully violent. I love Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm planning to watch it in the next three weeks. Yeah, It's kind of one of those films back. It's when people say David Lynch, and I know I just said this earlier on, like, David Lynch sometimes make films that don't make sense. Yeah. And, you know, films like Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, they make perfect sense. Yeah. They're not as kind of outlandish as some of the stuff that he made more recently. But at the same time, at the same time, there they, they are, they are moments of violence that will mm. put people off. Though my, my best friend Ali was with me when he watched Wild at Heart. I had to say, you have to watch this, right? And he loves the, uh, I can't rhyme it off, but it's the, the this is my snakeskin uh, jacket. And it is, a, it is a mark of my individuality. And he says several times throughout the movie. Well, those are both good choices. I would be tempted to say The Wicker Man, just because it's a terrible, terrible film. Um, I know the film festival are playing one of my favourite Nick Cage films. That, of course, is the Werner Herzog remake of Bad Lieutenant. Well, kind of remake, kind of spin-off. It's great. It's got that immortal line, you know, shoot him, his soul still dancing. It just cuts the Nick Cage, coked out of his head, looking at this guy that he's just <laughs> murdered, and this guy's like kind of dancing on top of him. Um, it's it's an absolute great film. It's it's Nick Cage going full Nick Cage, kind of in a similar sense, like in Mandy, where he goes completely... I, love, I forgot go, about Mandy. He goes from kind of a one on the Nick Cage scale to full-on five with uh, that sequence in the bathroom. Do you know, speaking of Nick Cage going full Nick Cage, that film <laughs> where John Travolta goes full Nick Cage, face-off? Yeah. Oh, I love this off. It's great. Off. It was uh, just. I could eat a peach for hours. Hmm. I could eat a peach for hours. There you could, you could. Okay. But it just—it's funny watching John Travolta try and be Nick Cage because Nick Cage's characteristic. <laughs> <are so, laughs> yeah, distinct, like, not distinctive, is it? That's it the right a, word. It was a yeah. VHS favorite in our house in the late nineties. Yeah. But then you also love the fact that Nick Cage is trying to be John Travolta yeah, in that so. film as well. He's <laughs> trying to be really kind of restrained and kind of law abiding. Uh, Face Off is a is a film I love, but another one I just adore, and I know it's only kind of a smaller bit part role, but it's a very important role. Is his role in Kick Ass? I oh love yeah, him. I love him. He as channels Big Adam Daddy. West. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love him as Big Daddy, and just the kind of rules mm -hmm. that he kind of teaches uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. It's uh, Kick Ass is an absolute fantastic. Is is this an absolutely fantastic film? And with everything, when you're kind of going with festival, you can with Cage Ram, you can't 
show everything you want. I know they're showing one of the Ghost Rider films, Spirit of Vengeance, which is pretty turd-worthy, and it's that's my opinion. I don't think K-Drama is all there for quality, but I know they're showing um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of New Orleans, and if you can watch it, and if you can get to the K-Drama, i definitely recommend that, or just find it at home viewing. It's brilliant, and it's Werner Herzog, and what can go wrong? So that pretty much brings this podcast to a close. All that's left for me to do now is thank you very much, Chris. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, Gabrielle. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for the Odeon for hosting us once again. We'll be back next week with another podcast, but for now, until then, goodbye. Thank you.